Uh, as we come now to the scripture, uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, just thinking about uh, suffering and the suffering of the world, uh, more, most particularly for the Dahl family and the loss of little Livia. Uh, we grieve for them. Some of us know very close the kind of grief they're experiencing. Others perhaps not so much, but all of us can sympathize and empathize even with their situation. And so we pray for them, for Eileen and Dave particularly. Bless them. Maintain their faith and grant them comfort. And for Dave and Vicky and their kids, other kids, for us as a church family. And so, Father, you've promised, as we have considered in Second Corinthians already, that you comfort us. So we pray that you would comfort them with the very comfort of Christ. And now, Father, we pray, too, that you would be with us as we consider the scripture this morning before us. So we trust that you've ordained this text for us today. Um, knowing, of course... Exactly where it will land, how it will land on our hearts. But we pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would attend as we read this word, as we declare it, as we think it through, that you would cause it to work in us, a work that brings glory to you, God, and deep and profound blessing to us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, please, to 2 Corinthians in chapter 1. 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, please. I want to read verses 18 through 22. It simply plucks out or picks up um, a part of this passage um, that we considered last week. But I want just to pick this part of it out uh, this morning to read and to think about together. So, 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, verses 18 through 22. Uh, This is the word of God. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put a seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, you might remember that what I just read is the the, the premise, the foundation, the ground for Paul's defense that his own word is true. You might remember that some in the church in Corinth were questioning whether or not Paul was had been true to his word concerning his travel plans, his relationship uh, with them. And, and this is the heart of this. This is the ground of his, of his defense, if you will. And uh, what I'd like to do, if God will help me this morning, is to sort of pluck it out, really, of its context and consider it on its own. Uh, this expression that God is faithful. That's the point 
that Paul rests his case upon. And so it's important for us perhaps to, to take a step back, to linger a bit with this expression that God is faithful. Uh, the scripture attests to that um, in, in the book of Numbers, for instance, in chapter uh, 23 from the mouth of a reluctant prophet, we read uh, this, uh, this expression. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and, it, and, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? I mean, that's the sense about God, that he's honest, that he, he's true to his word. And, and, and that's Paul's point two in this, in this whole passage, that God is in fact faithful, that God really is true to his word, most especially in Jesus, that he's spoken to us in Jesus. And what he's spoken to us in Jesus is, yes, it's really true. It's an unambiguous declaration that all of his promises, all of God's promises are true in Jesus. Jesus confirms them, fulfills them, guarantees them. Uh, because of Jesus, we can trust that all of God's promises uh, are really true. He really is our hope. There's a sense in which there's no real hope without Jesus. Paul staked his life and eternal destiny and his whole work in this ministry of the gospel upon the faithfulness of God in Jesus. We stake, really, as Christians, our lives and our eternal destiny upon Jesus. If Jesus isn't the yes to all of God's promises, then we have no real hope. Right? You, you know this. You stake, I stake everything on Jesus. I stake everything on the fact that he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. He is the one who guarantees them. He is the one that is the certainty, the surety, the certainty of all that God has said Jesus. Now, of course, not everyone hopes in Jesus. My question is, in what do you hope if you don't hope in Jesus? Right? In what do you hope if you don't hope in Jesus? I mean, I mean, you think about the. Uh, there isn't anybody who doesn't believe that we as human beings on planet Earth have great difficulties. I mean, no one, I could use a double negative, doesn't believe that. Everyone believes that. We all know we have problems. And we've been seeking, as far as we know, ourselves as human beings, we've been seeking to deal with those. We've been seeking to deal with them, whether they be poverty or homelessness or whether disease or sickness or death. We've been seeking to deal with them, whether they be war so whether they're personal or whether they're social or whether they're political or whether they're economic, we've been trying to deal with these issues for as long as we've been. And we've made significant strides. I mean, here we are sitting in a wonderful air-conditioned place. So we've, we've dealt with the heat, at least in developed countries, right? We've dealt with the heat. We've dealt with the cold. Uh, our grocery stores are full. Um, 
we're in reasonably good health by and large. We have good hospitals and all of that. And if you're fortunate enough to be born into a developed country, into a particular class, and there's no war on your soil, no plague in your land, and no famine, uh, life can be okay for a time. But, but we still haven't gotten to the guts of that, and we, we still haven't gotten to the selfishness and the pride that leads to the hatred and leads to many of our ills. I was thinking of the day that if, if modern medicine would come to the point, and it won't, but if modern medicine came to the point where all diseases, every disease was cured, there would still be death because we'd kill each other. And so there's something at the heart of this that we haven't gotten to. And then, no matter what else, at the end of the day, we still die. And other than Christians, who have a, nobody's certain as to what happens after that. We haven't really got to that well yet, have we? <laughs> and so, as the Ecclesiastes, the preacher says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And, and that's his sort of his, his, his bottom line case. It's like, well, okay, 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 but at the end of the day, we still all die. And then what? And so if we don't hope in Jesus, then what really is, is our hope? And so we ask the question, how can we be certain that God is faithful? How can we be certain that... that and, and the answer, and again, I've given it already, and you should know it because it's the Sunday school answer. Our hope is Jesus. He really is our hope. Uh, Jesus, as I've often said, is our trump card. When we're talking to anybody about what Christianity is, is it's, it's about Jesus. It, it centers upon Christ. Without him, there is no Christianity at all. I mean, you can have Islam without Muhammad if you just had a different prophet. You can have Buddhism without Buddha if you just had a different person giving you wisdom and all of that. Uh, Confucianism without Confucius if you just had a different guy thrown in. But, but, but Christianity can't exist at all. It doesn't exist at all without this one Jesus, the one we professed this morning from John chapter 1, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, the second person of the Trinity coming and dwelling among us, that Jesus. I mean, there is no hope apart from him, uh, uh, really. And, 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 and that's why Paul writes, all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why through him, we utter our amen. Amen just meaning, yes, that's true. I grab hold of it. Our amen to God for his glory. Just to say, again, there's no hope, real hope, without Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It's, he was claiming at that point in time to be the only way to reconciliation with God. The only truth concerning reconciliation with God. The only one who gives life. That's why the Apostle Paul said, there's no other name given to men under heaven wherein they must be saved. It's, it's only through the name of Jesus. That's why the Apostle said, there's only one mediator between God and man, God and human beings. The man, Jesus Christ, 
So it's, it's just through Jesus. You see, it's that kind of exclusivity. And God isn't being exclusive just because he's snobbish. He's not being exclusive, saying this is the only way, just because he wants to make it narrow. Uh, he says this is the only way, but because the, the issues, the problem that exists, this is the only solution to it. Because if the issue really is that God is holy and we're not, if the issue really is that God is, is holy and just and we've turned against him and sinned, if the issue really is that, that, that the wages of sin is death, that there's death, that's, that's the appropriate, that's the just punishment for our rebellion against God. If that's really true, if God really calls us to be obedient, if that's really true, then we're pretty much sunk. And so the question is, what other hope could we possibly have other than one to come and stand for us? Other than one to come and to do it for us? And the question is, who's worth us? Who can really do that? Well, it's the very Son of God. And he comes and he, he does that. He takes the penalty for our sin. We know this on the cross. He takes the penalty for our sin. He lives righteously and a holy life and gives that to us, his obedience, his righteousness to us. He covers all of our bases. So that trusting in him, his death is for sin is imputed to us that we might live. His righteousness is given to us that we might be justified. And you see, so, so that's why it's exclusive. That, that's why it's narrow. Because no one else can do it. There can be no other hope other than in Jesus. And, and that's our hope. You see, now we know this, but, but this is our text. And so we must need this today. I mean, we must need to think about this today. That, 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 that Jesus is the hope because he is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. I mean, think about it. Just run your mind if you're a reader of the Bible. Not I'll run your mind with, I'll run your mind through it for you. But, but, but think about the Old Testament scriptures. You know, we're created in the image of God. God said everything is good. And then by chapter three, everything goes, goes wrong, right? Because, because Adam and Eve sin. You know, God named two trees, right? Tree of life sounds great. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. That even sounds good. And, and, and so he said to Adam, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, you know, it's not because God didn't want Adam to be aware that some things are good and some things are evil. But he said, that tree, don't eat of that tree, because you see, that's the, the, I want you to know, Adam, that I, God, I'm the one who determines what's good and evil, not you. That's not your prerogative. Your prerogative isn't to know it from its foundation. Your prerogative is only to know what's good and evil derived from me. I'm God. I'm the one who determines good and evil. So that tree isn't yours. But you know what happened. They ate of the tree. And the temptation from Satan was you can be like God. And so what we have then, right then, is the first no and O. The first no from God. Not a yes from God, but a no from God. And the no from God is you can't eat of the tree of life. You can't have life, not like this, not rebelling. There's no life rebelling from me. And so the question is, will, will there ever be a yes? Will there ever be a yes to the tree of life? Will there be ever a yes to real life? And the answer is yes. And, and we, we see the sort of the beginnings of it, this promise that comes in chapter 3, verse 15, where God says there will be one who comes from the seed of the woman. And you know what he'll do. 
Even though his heel is bruised, he'll be wounded. Even though his heel will be bruised, he will bruise or crush, as some versions have it, the head of this serpent, evil, right? And so that's what we're anticipating. But then things get worse and there's a great flood. And when the flood comes, you wonder, is everybody going to die? And God says, well, no, I've made a promise. So Noah and his family have found favor in my eyes. They will live. And so there's an ark for them. And so they will live. And God promises not to destroy the earth in this same way. Makes covenant rainbow. But then he finds this man, Abraham, makes a promise to him. And the promises, as you know, in addition to the blessing that Abraham will have, that there'll be one from the seed of Abraham, through whom all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Well, that's in chapter 12 of Genesis. By the time you get to chapter 15 of Genesis, Abraham's saying, but I don't have any kids and I'm old. And look at my wife. She's old too. How's this ever going to happen? And God makes a promise finally to Abraham and he says to him, that he's going to have a son and he's going to have so many descendants that you won't even be able to count them. They'll be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And so you wonder how all that's going to come about. Isaac, of course, is born and we see this covenant promise then moving out from then. But then we find that uh, the Israelites, the people of Abraham, if you will, are enslaved. How will they ever be delivered? Well, this one Moses comes to deliver and a promise is made to Moses. Deuteronomy in chapter 18, the promise comes to Moses and he says, there'll be another prophet like you who's raised up will have my word. The people should listen to the word of this one who'll come, this prophet like you. And, and you remember, you, you, we see the nation coming together at Sinai and we, and we see uh, this constitution of the covenant, the commandments that are given. But in that, we find that God says, I can dwell among my people. Why? Because I'll give you priests that will represent the people before me. And I'll give you sacrifices that I'll take in lieu of you. I'll, I'll, I'll impute your sin upon them, these animals that are innocent and blameless. And I will save then you from your, your sins. And so there are atoning sacrifices that are made. There's a tabernacle, a tent of meeting, ultimately a temple that will come, uh, will be the very dwelling place of God with human beings where these sacrifices will be made, where these priests will represent them. And all that will take place in this temple, tabernacle, tabernacle, then temple area. And, uh, and God can dwell among his, among his people. And then the prophet Isaiah comes along and he begins to speak of one who'll be born of a virgin, this one who will come and he'll open the eyes of the blind and he'll, he'll open the lips of the mute and he'll, he'll give legs, if you will, walking ability to those who are, who are lame and, and he'll release captives from, from their prison of sin, if you will. And this very one born of a virgin uh, will be the son of David because God had made a promise to David that there'll be one, a king who'll sit on his throne forever. And so Isaiah says, yes, he'll come. He'll be from the, <clears throat> he'll be a shoot out of, out of the line of Jesse, uh, David's dad. And so, so it'll be a, a son of David, if you will, who'll sit on this throne forever. And he will be the one who will be the sin bearer. As my servant, he will suffer. For God says, I will lay upon him the iniquity, the sin. Of all of them. 
And we get more specific. The prophet Micah says he'll be born in Bethlehem. And, and, and the psalmist begin to speak to one who'll be betrayed by a friend who, who, um, he'll re- rise from the dead. And not only that, he'll sit at the right hand of the Father. The prophet Jeremiah comes along and he says, a new covenant's going to come. And this new covenant's going to be one uh, in, in which the, the law of God will be written on people's hearts. That they will know God, that God will be their God, they will be his people, and he'll remember their sins no more. The prophet Ezekiel comes along and says, a new covenant is coming. And in this new covenant, uh, he will sprinkle us clean, you see. And he'll take out a heart of, uh, of stone and put in a heart of flesh that, that can believe and trust. And, and give us the very spirit of God who will enable us to walk in his ways. So all of that we come through. And then, as the scripture points out, in the fullness of time, Jesus comes. He's the very one who comes. And he fulfills all of this. We know that he crushed the head of the serpent uh, on on the cross. He triumphed, as we read in in Colossians and chapter 2. He triumphed over the evil one. We know that he is our very high priest. Right? He's the one who represents us. The author of Hebrews speaks of that. He's the sacrifice that is made. He even claims to be that, that he will give his life as a ransom for many. And, and he's the very one who's that atoning sacrifice for us. He is the one who is that seed of Abraham through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed so much so that the author, that Paul, as he writes to the church in Rome, says that Jesus is in fact, I'm sorry, that Abraham in fact is the father of us all because we are the descendants, believers, Jews and Gentiles who believe, are the real descendants of Abraham by faith. There it is, you see, for us. Jesus is that linchpin. John Piper puts it like this in a book called um, something, Future Grace. He writes, All the promises of God for the good of his people are in Christ. He confirms them and secures them and purchases them for all who are Christ's, for all who believe and come to him. Every sinner who comes to God in Christ with all his needs finds God coming to him in Christ with all his promises. When a sinful person meets the holy God in Christ, he hears, Yes, God, do you love me? Yes, will you forgive me? Yes, will you accept me? Yes, will you help me change? Yes, will you give me power to serve you? Yes, will you keep me? Yes, will you show me your glory? <laughs> yes, and all of this you can, because of Jesus. That's why this word, Amen, is so important. Paul says in verse 20, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen. He says yes to us. We say yes to all that is in and through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we be sure? Turn for a moment to Romans in chapter 8. A 
verse 31. Familiar passage. When I first read it, I wrote in the top of that particular Bible, vintage, 1980-something. I wrote the logic of heaven above Romans 8. Listen. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And when all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The point Paul is making is that yes, all of God's promises are yes in Jesus. For those who come to God through Jesus, God never says no to any of his promises. They'll all be fulfilled. That is indeed our hope. We know that yes, it is really true that he is with us. Yet it really is true that he forgives us. Yes, it really is true that that we belong to him. It really is true that a day will come when there'll be no tears, when there'll be no suffering, when there'll be no grief, when there'll be no injustice, where there be no fear, where there be no anxiety, where there be no separation of those who are in relationship in Jesus with each other. There'll be no war. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth and God will dwell with his people. That is really true. That really is coming. That really is a certain hope. All because of Jesus. And the logic of God is this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? In other words, God says to us, I've I've given my son. I've given that which is most valuable. And, and you know, the, the killing of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus was no accident, of course. It was ordained by God. It was the, God the Father who laid upon his son the iniquity of us all. It was God the Father who was pleased to crush his son for us. You see? And so he said, I've done that. Why, why do you think I'll keep anything good from you? You remember Abraham, illustration, by way of illustration, Abraham. You remember the time 
that, that God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him. You remember that? Now, please know, as we know how the story unfolds, please know that Isaac was the safest person on the planet. Because uh, if Abraham decided not to obey God, then Isaac would live. And we know what happened when Abraham decided to obey God, that God stayed his hand. So, so don't get too hung up about Isaac for a minute. He might have gotten counseling later on in life. I don't know. But uh, it could be pretty traumatic to be there bound up with your dad with a knife over you. But I suppose he got over it being the covenant heir that he was. But the point is that, that, that at the end of all of that, when, 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 when Abraham obeys God, if you will, and, 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 and binds his son to the, to, the, to the kindling and takes the knife and is about to slay his son, that God, slays his, God, God stays his hand. There's a ram in the thicket. Jesus, by the way, that's another story. But there's a ram in the thicket, not really Jesus, it's really a ram in the thicket, but a, really a, you know, animal. But Jesus is a fulfillment of that. But, but he stays his hand, and, and, and the point is, God says, I know that since you would not spare your own son, then you'll do anything I ask. And the point is, God says, look, I wouldn't spare my son. Why don't you think I love you? Why don't you think I'm with you? Why don't you think that I'm not true to all of my promises? Why won't you trust me? And then this statement, verse 31, that precedes it, it says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Of course, the answer is, there's a lot that can be against us. Right? We know that. There's disease that can be against us. There's, there's uh, political decisions that could be against us. There can be employment situations that could be against us. There's people that are against us that can be against us. But, but you know, the point is, the point is, if God is for us, then whatever is against us pales. That's his point. Because... Whatever circumstance, whatever situation we're in, whatever is against us at the moment, if God is for us, then he'll give us whatever good thing we need. He really will. And we can, we can hope in him. We can trust in him. And we know the ultimate good thing in Romans chapter 8. Verse 28, we read this very familiar passage. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom uh, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the ultimate good. The ultimate good is then in every circumstances, through every situation, that God is at work to, con- to make us like Jesus in holiness and righteousness. Now, if we don't like that, if that's not our goal, if we're not really pleased with 
being conformed to the image of Jesus, then we might not see what happens as always good. Uh, and, and what God works is always good. But, but that's what he's always at work doing. That's the ultimate good here. That's the good that he's, he's doing is he's conforming us. That's our destiny. Don't get too Presbyterian on me for a moment about predestination. Uh, where we're predestined to, in a, for right here at least, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. When, you, when you're his... Uh, and there's a predestiny, predestination before that. It's another sermon. But now that we're here, the destiny, our destiny is to conform, be conformed to the image of Jesus. So that's what we should be expecting. That's what we should be looking forward to. So Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. We should be seeing that because we're to be conformed to the image of Jesus, you see. And, and, and that's the ultimate, what better good is there in a person's life than that? So we, we, we always know that. That's always that hope for us. So yes, you see, God's promises really are yes in Jesus. Nothing, nothing can cause God to say no to the promises that he's made in Jesus. They're all yes. That's our hope. And we have a, a glimpse of this. We have a piece of this. We, we, we know this. Notice how he puts it in verse 21. He says, And it's God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He says, first of all, it's God who establishes us. Now, school hasn't started yet, but just a brief note. That's in the present tense. And so he's always doing that. All right? He's always establishing us. That's an ongoing work of God. Never stops. An ongoing work of God. It's based on three things that he lists here that he's already done. But, but he's already, he's always doing that. He's always establishing us. Now, some of, in some of your versions, if you have an NIV, it says that he's, he's, he, he makes us stand firm. Uh, it's a good translation because it, it, it simply means, you know, to establish means to make permanent, to make firm. If you're establishing a habit, uh, you're trying to make it permanent in your life. One of the things that, that we say around here, have always said around here, that one of our purposes for being as a church is to establish the word of God in the hearts and minds of people. We want to make it permanent. We want to make it so that that's our identity. We want to, when, when, when you're thinking, you're thinking as God would think, if you will. Um, and so we want to establish that, make it permanent, that it stays, stands firm there. And so what he's saying here, Paul is saying, is that God is always enabling us to stand firm. That's one of his promises, that he will keep us. And that's a key one. If you ever wondered, if you ever thought, and I know... I know you have, because I have, because we've talked about it, various ones of us. Various points to stop to think. Will I maintain faith throughout the course of my life? And sometimes, if you have this kind of mind, you might think, I don't know what I would do if X happened or Y happened. I don't know what I would do in that circumstance. I won't list those because you probably know what they are for you. And some of them 
are quite grievous. But, but wait, what would happen if, if this happened? And the promise of God, the promise of God to those who are in Christ is that he's always establishing us. He's always enabling us to stand firm. He's always enabling, the word we used a few weeks ago, to patiently endure. He's always doing that in us all the time, every moment, whether it feels like it or not. And so he he wants to tell us that my promises are yes. And my promises are yes. And you should know this because I'm always establishing you. And they're always yes because here's what I've done. If you're in Christ, this is what's true of you. First of all, you've been anointed. Second of all, you've been sealed. And third of all, you've been given his spirit. These have happened. If you're a believer in Jesus, you're in Christ. These three things have happened. You've been anointed. You've been sealed. And you've been given his spirit. Right? Now, when it says we've been anointed... um, it comes from a word group. Um, if you're Episcopalian, it means you've been christened. Uh, either that or if you're in the, in the Navy and christened a ship. But it just simply means that you, you, you've been given a name. You've been christened. You know, I don't like that word. We talk about baptism. I never use christened. So if you ever want anyone in your family to be baptized, don't ask me if they can be christened. You'll get a lecture. Um, but, but you could also translate it really, and this isn't, I don't think, blasphemous, can translate this word as Christed, anointed. We know the word for anoint, for the word Christ in Greek means anoint. Messiah, Old Testament, means anoint. Uh, prophets, priests, and kings in the Old Testament were anointed, were Christed, if they were going to use a Greek word, uh, Christed. So the sense in which what he's saying is, you now belong to me. You've been anointed. Been anointed by my spirit. You've been anointed. You now belong. Belong to me. And, and notice, First John, turn to this. First John and chapter 2. Verse 18. Please know this about yourself. You've been anointed by God. And, and I, I know that this word carries baggage now because of Christian television, where somebody comes on and they have the anointing and this person that. It doesn't mean, it's not about that at all, okay? I don't, I don't even know what they're talking about, usually. But, but, but it means, this is true for every Christian, that, that, that God, by his spirit, verse 18, children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it, might not, that it might become plain that all are not of us. But you have been anointed. Not exactly the same word, same word family, if you look this up in your little Greek Bibles. But, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. That is, there's a sense in which, and I know we're getting a little ooky spooky here, but there's a sense in which, that as believers, we need to know that something really has happened. And that God, 
has anointed us to be his and that we have all knowledge. And you know, that doesn't mean you, you know, you, you can go do calculus or something. It means that you know God through Jesus. You really do. That's the fulfillment partially of, of the prof, uh, promise uh, through Jeremiah. That all will know me, he says, from the least of them to the greatest. You see, you know, we know God. Some better than others and all that as we mature, but you get the point. We know him. And listen to what happens. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and, and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. You've been anointed. You belong to him. You have eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. In other words, we all need teachers. That's not his point. He's teaching them right now. His point is, you know God. Through Jesus. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he taught you, abide in him. You see, what happens is when you hear the truth, as we hear the truth as believers in Jesus, it rings true. We go, yes, that's true. As we read through the scripture, we go, yes, that's true. Yes, that's really it. As we're taught, as people teach us the scripture and they teach us rightly, we should be saying, yes, that's really true. We have this anointing. And he says, if, because you have this anointing, then you will hold fast because always, by way of this anointing, he's establishing you all the time. He says, you've been sealed. He's put his seal on us. Now we know, all of us, I think, in ancient days, what a seal did was take some hot wax and put your seal in that wax, whether it was from a ring or from a, a pedestal, some sort of, put it in there. Uh, and, and, and that was a, a claim of authenticity and a claim of ownership, Right? And so if you got a letter from the governor and it had the governor's seal, you knew it really was the governor's. This was his letter and he really did send it. It's really authentically true. And he says, we've been sealed. You've been bought with a price, as Paul would put it in his, put it in his previous letter to the church in Corinth. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. And, and we're sealed. Ownership. We belong to God. We're his, his possession. Owned. By him, and then finally he says, he's given us his, he's given his spirits and our hearts as a guarantee. Oh, you could translate that as earnest money, as down payment. He says, you've got my spirit. I've given you my spirit. Now, that's my pledge, my spirit living in you. He is my pledge that you're mine and all the blessings that I promised are still, that are still to come, are still coming, and a day will come when, when they'll come to fruition and you'll have them all. He said, I'm giving you this down payment. You know, if you've ever purchased anything uh, by way of a down payment, you know that, um, that the amount of down payment given uh, uh, helps the lender. So the more you give is a down payment, the more certain the lender is that, yes, you're good for the rest. I mean, he's given us his spirit. I mean, how much more could he give us? 
than that. We have his spirit who is at work in us. Establishing us all the time. Enabling us to stand firm all the time. So, are all God's promises yes? Yes. (laughs) They are. Is God faithful? Yes. How do I know? Jesus. How do I, how do I know? Well, he fulfilled all the, all the promises of God. He did it all for us. Thus, all the promises that God made for forgiveness of sins, for reconciliation with him, uh, to the coming of a new heavens and a new earth. All those promises are fulfilled in Jesus. He rules and he reigns now over those promises. Can we have hope? Yes. He's establishing us all the time. Why? Because as his, he's anointed us. He's sealed us. He's given us his spirit. One final summary verse for you to live off of. Live off this verse. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now the Promise there is in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That is, make you holy. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that when Jesus comes, you'll stand before him blameless because you'll stand still in him, the blameless one. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. That is good news. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us, that we'd believe it, wouldn't doubt it, and that when times of doubt come, that rather than succumb to the doubts, we would look to Jesus, the very one who is the author, the finisher, the beginning, the end, the Alpha Omega of our faith. Please enable us to really know that since you did not spare your own son, but you gave him up for us all, that you will give us all good things. We can trust you. There isn't a circumstance that won't thwart your good purpose in us, that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus. And on the day that he comes, it will meet him and greet him. And he will see us as blameless. Because we belong to him, been anointed, sealed, and we have his spirit. So, Father, be with us. We pray particularly again, God, for those in need. That in times of difficulty, as struggles come, that we will point them to Jesus. Your word will point them to Jesus. Your spirit will draw them to Jesus. The Dahl family, as we've prayed, of course, and others who are suffering in various kinds of ways. Be with us, I pray. In Jesus' name.